Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for July 9th, 2018. Took a couple days off for the 4th of July. My brother was visiting. Hope you guys had a good holiday. Uh, I hope you didn't enjoy fireworks because, I don't know, fireworks just kind of suck to me. I don't, I don't get the firework thing to me. If you've seen fireworks once, you've seen everything you need to see with fireworks. It's going to be the same thing every time. Oh, you're finishing with the grand finale? I've seen it before. It's not that exciting. I have lit on fire once from fireworks, and then definitely there's nothing else that could possibly be done from fireworks. I had a... You guys know like Roman candles are, the little kind of like handheld type fireworks things. But we had, I was in high school and my parents were having a party at the house and they got a bunch of Roman candles. And my brother and I took a couple of them and we just ran up and down the street shooting each other. And he hit me with one. I ended up lighting on fire. And that kind of ended the appeal of fireworks to me once you've been lit on fire once. The other thing also is when you're on fire, stop, drop, and roll. Not a thing. It's not really something you consider. It's more, I'm going to take all of my burning clothes off, and I'm going to be naked in front of a bunch of strangers. So fireworks, I am out on them. Overrated fireworks. Uh, Another thing before we talk about the baseball games, just because this was of interest to me, I thought the uh, Milwaukee Bucks signing Brooke Lopez, that was a really awesome signing, especially for one year, 3.3 million, maybe 3.4, I forget what the exact number was. But either way, it's a great contract. And the one knock you'll see people make against Brooke Lopez is not a good defensive player, which I don't really think is true. Not a good rebounder, which I definitely don't think is true. Now, I think that he's not a good rebounder. I could see why people would think that because he doesn't average a lot of rebounds and he's a seven-footer. So a lot of people go, how could a seven-footer only be averaging like six to seven rebounds per game? And the reason is because grabbing the rebound is not necessarily his priority, but he seems to be very effective, at least boxing out and helping his team get rebounds because I was looking at some of the numbers for the last few years of his career, and his teams always rate above average as rebounding teams when he's on the floor. League average is 73% for defensive rebound rate, and the last few years for Brook Lopez, 78.5, 77.5, 77.1, 75.1 when he's been on the floor. So basically, if Brook Lopez is on the court, your team is probably an above average rebounding team. So it doesn't necessarily matter that he's not grabbing the rebounds himself. He's putting himself in a position to allow his teammates to grab rebounds. Therefore, I would say that makes him an effective rebounder, even if he's not the one cleaning the glass himself so I thought that was a great signing and a big missed opportunity for the Lakers who have definitely made some curious moves in the offseason but I mean that's such a cheap contract and the Lakers what they're going to be starting JaVale McGee at center now so I don't know if I necessarily get that some weird moves by Magic Johnson as we've seen another case of a former great basketball player maybe not so great at evaluating the talent of other players so talking about the baseball games now for the Monday slate No rain concerns, which is nice. Pitching is a little bit difficult to figure out, and we'll get into that. We have at the top, Clayton Kershaw, I think, is the guy to pay up for $12,900. The thing is, as of Sunday night, I don't know what his pitch restriction is going to look like. The last couple games, he hasn't been allowed to work super deep into game coming back from injury. We've seen him make three starts since coming off the DL, 55 pitches, 68-74, so they're slowly working him up. The one thing about last start is even though he only threw 74 pitches, it wasn't a 75 or whatever pitch restriction. He was working on a six-inning restriction. So I'm going to I'm gonna assume that maybe they let him go seven innings for this game. Maybe it's something like a 90-pitch restriction. Just because of how difficult it is to figure out pitching for this slate, I don't mind Kershaw at 12,900 
assuming that that is what the restriction is. We're going to need more information on that tomorrow. The Padres strike out the second highest rate against left-handed pitching. Kershaw, when healthy, has been the best pitcher in baseball over the last few years. Maybe it's Chris Sale or Max Scherzer now, but Kershaw still as good as anybody gets, plus matchup against the Padres. So I like that spot for him at 12,900. Just check Twitter, look at some of the Padre, uh, Padres, Dodgers beat reporters prior to the game and see what kind of restrictions Kershaw is working with. If it's too restrictive, if he's only going like six innings, then I'm not that interested in him. But if we see seven plus innings, 90 plus pitches, something like that, then I'm, I'm good with Kershaw at this price tag, especially compared to some of the other guys. Like we've Garrett Cole, 13,100, who's overall been good this year. But I think he's getting a little bit fatigued at this point in the season. We look at now five of his last six, uh, four of his last five starts. He's gone for 19 or less fantasy points. Pretty tough matchup against the Oakland A's. It's just not enough production for me at that price tag. And I would rather go to Kershaw on the high end. The next guy that I'm interested in is going to be Eduardo Rodriguez, who is priced at 8100 So Rodriguez has been pretty high variance this year. He's a strong GPP play, though, pretty much whenever he pitches. He's a 3.84 ERA, 3.71 FIP, so overall slightly above average for the season, but a lot of strikeouts from 9.61 per nine innings, and the Rangers strike out a slightly above average clip against left-handed pitching, kind of middle of the road against lefties. Uh, also, the Red Sox are one of actually the biggest favorite on the slate, so likely that he picks up the win bonus here, assuming that he can get through five innings and not get obliterated, which he does do from time to time, but I really do like the upside for Eduardo Rodriguez in this spot, especially without many strong pitching options for their price. I think a lot of people will want to look at Chris Archer and say, oh, only 8100 for Chris Archer at home against the Tigers, which, yeah, good spot, good matchup for him. The issue is Archer also coming off the DL, and right now it looks like he's going to be working on a 75 pitch restriction. Just not enough pitches for me. That's not enough innings, not enough outs for him. And Archer also somebody who tends to be not very economical with his pitch count. So at 75 pitches, we might only see him get through like four innings or so. 8,100, it's... Uh, I'd rather wait to see Archer throw more pitches in the game before I roster him. I'd rather go with Rodriguez for the same price. So next guys who I'm looking at, and I don't really love any of these options, but we've got Kyle Hendricks at 7,300. Hendricks has struggled this year, but at least the one thing that's a little bit encouraging, the strikeouts are way down from its 6.68 per nine innings. He struck out 7.93 per nine innings last year. He's actually generating more swinging misses this year than he did last year. So I think that the strikeouts should rebound a little bit. His ERA is at 4.27, FIP at 4.8. Neither of those are particularly pretty, but he is somebody who does always tend to outperform his peripheral stats. In addition to that, really big park upgrade for Kyle Hendricks pitching at AT&T Park, which has been the most pitcher-friendly park in baseball over the last few years. So with all that in consideration, I think Hendricks at 7,300 is somebody who... Not a super high ceiling for him, but I think fairly safe for that price tag. And once again, without many great pitching options on the slate, I think that he makes sense. Somebody else also who, not a good pitcher, but Luis Perdomo at 4,500 at home against the Padres. I think the Padres, I mean against the, I'm fucking up all the teams right now. The Padres at home against the Dodgers. Perdomo has a really bad career history against the Dodgers, so I think the Dodgers will be a pretty popular stacking choice i don't think it's terrible to stack them but 4500 is so cheap for a starting pitcher that i mean perdomo doesn't really need to do that much to hit value he just needs to not get smashed which 
once again, I'll say, considering the other options on the slate, I think that makes him pretty appealing because if you can get like 12, 13 fantasy points at him, which isn't too much of an ask, then pretty good chance that you see Perdomo and in some end up in some high-end lineups, let you pay up for some of the good offensive spots on the slate. So I think that Perdomo, Hendricks, Rodriguez, Kershaw are all fine pitching options and all in different price tiers, so you can mix and match them together to fit in different offenses depending on their cost. So there's three offenses that I like for this slate. Number one on the high end is the Red Sox, who are at home against Mike Miner. So the Red Sox this year, we have seen them generally struggle against left-handed pitching and then been really good against right-handed pitching, but that's been not the case as much lately. The Red Sox have really crushed left-handed pitching. They're actually all up to a 97 WRC plus against lefties, which is right around the middle of the league. And only about a month ago, they were dead last in the league against left-handed pitching. So really hitting lefties much better now. Mike Miner this year, uh, slightly below average, 4.63 RA, 4.41 FIP. Doesn't really generate a lot of strikeouts. We're just kind of looking at a low-end starter against the Red Sox, and just so much upside in that Boston offense. They're really expensive for the slate, but there are some cheaper pitchers that I liked, like Rodriguez, Hendricks, and Perdomo, and you could really combine any of two of those three guys to stack the Red Sox offense and shouldn't really be too much of a problem. Uh, next offense that I like for the slate is the Houston Astros going up against Frankie Montas, who has overall been pretty solid in his rookie year, but he has been blown up in two of his last four starts. So that's definitely in the cards for him to have some not so great games. The other thing also is the start got pushed back a little bit. So maybe that takes him out of rhythm a little bit. Not really the main reason that I'm looking at the Astros offense here. The other thing also with Houston, they are uh, third in WRC plus against right-handed pitching. It's a really powerful offense, a lot of upside there for them at home. And then going up against the young pitcher has been a little bit high variance lately in Frankie Montas. I definitely see a lot of upside for the Houston offense, who I think is a good high-end offense that's slightly cheaper than what the Red Sox are. And then as a cheap offense, I like the Minnesota Twins. They haven't been great but they haven't been terrible against left-handed pitching but Danny Duffy another guy who has had some good starts lately also has had a lot of really bad starts and overall for the season his numbers not all that great looking at a 5.19 ERA 5.39 FIP giving up a 13.5 percent home run to fly ball rate also really fly ball heavy pitcher only a 33 percent ground ball rate so we're looking at Duffy somebody who puts a lot of balls in the air a lot of them end up leaving the ballpark there could be a lot of fantasy upside there. The Twins also, another team who have been a really high-variance offense. They put up some monster offensive games and some pretty big duds also at offense. And if you look at Duffy's last six starts for reference of how high variance he's been, he has starts with 36, 23, and 25 fantasy points and 1, 5, and negative 3. Those are his last six starts. So maybe even Danny Duffy would make sense as a GPP play if you wanted to save salary with somebody just because – there is that potential for the 25-plus fantasy point game, but then there's also the chance that he goes, there's about equal chance that he goes for single digits that he goes for over 20. So there's a lot of variance there. I think the Twins make sense. They have some power upside in their offense. Uh, for value, I think they make sense. Probably the the order priority for the offenses for me would be Red Sox 1, Astros 2, and then Twins 3. So that'll wrap up today's podcast. Go follow me on Twitter at GEarenbergDFS, and I'll be back tomorrow to record a podcast for Tuesday Slate.